my goal today is just to share sort of the, the ethos HV heartbeat in this season. What's got our heart beating? And uh, as we enter into the fall and the winter, students have come back. Um, our, our church is together once again. We are whole. What, what has our heart beating? And so for these next few minutes, this isn't going to feel like, oh, I know exactly what to expect out of Ethos for the next incoming months. Like, I know what the series is going to be. I know what we're going to be doing as a church family. It's more the why behind everything that we're going to be doing uh, in the incoming future. And so as you take notes, here's what I want you just to be asking yourself throughout the whole teaching is what is God personally inviting me into? How is God inviting me to participate in my individual life, but also, in addition, in this church family? Like, if this is a place you call home, how is God inviting you to invest and participate in this church family? Does that make sense? Um, so today is about just giving you a little bit of a heartbeat. Everything we do in the, in the incoming months, this is the why behind what we're doing, okay? And so, if you're taking notes... I wanna invite you to write down this word. I feel like this is like the centerpiece um, of the conversation today. I want you to write down this word cultivate. This word cultivate. This is the word that came to my mind as I was thinking and praying for this week. Um, when you picture the word cultivate, I don't know what you picture, but in my head, I immediately think of like a farmer or a gardener, right? Someone that is like working the ground to produce life, right? Like uh, if you think about like Tennessee, it's someone who looks at a plot of grass, understands that it's basically limestone, dirt, and grass, but has enough hard work, enough commitment, enough consistency and belief to turn that into vegetation that can feed hundreds or thousands of people. Like we go to Kroger and buy tomatoes, but like you ever thought about like the magic of farming? There's just like ground and it turns into food. That's crazy, man. How many of y'all done that recently? I haven't made the ground turn into food ever. You know, it's pretty awesome. It's like someone chose to put their hands to the plow, to literally dig up the ground to produce soft soil. And this word cultivate, it breaks down in a few different ways. I'm gonna share three different definitions of the word cultivate uh, according to Webster's. Cultivating can mean, first, breaking up soil until it's soft and a suitable space for growth. That's one understanding of what it means to cultivate. Number two, it means to raise or to grow plants. All right, number three, to grow or to maintain. Those are the three definitions that showed up when I Googled it. And so for the rest of this conversation, I want you just to be aware. There are gonna be some things that I say where God's gonna go, what I'm calling you into is a moment of breaking up soil is breaking up soil, is in your life creating space for growth. That may mean pulling some weeds. It may mean breaking some hard soil apart into pieces where it becomes soft and suitable. But like God's gonna go, hey, this thing that Joshua was talking about, the ethos church is going after, it's only gonna work if you're willing to create space in your life conducive to healthy growth. Does that make sense? Secondly, some of this is about raising or growing what already is. There's some things that God has planted in your heart. There's some things that God's producing in your life individually and as you're a part of this church family. And I'm gonna share some things where God's gonna go, hey, you're already doing that. Your job right now is just to keep leaning in. 
I'm growing this in you. I'm maturing this in you. I'm not rebuking you right now. I'm just asking you to keep walking with me, keep maturing in this area. And other parts of this are about simply maintaining. Like, I'm gonna give a conversation. It's gonna have a lot of vision and a lot of I wanna see this, this, and this. But it doesn't mean that everything is calling you out for something. Some of the stuff you're already doing so well. And so really, you're gonna hear this and you just need to take it as a pat on the back from the Holy Spirit. Hey, just keep doing what you're doing. This is gonna work. But the onus is on you to discern which is which for you as we talk through each area. Like, is this an area where God's going, hey, I'm inviting you to make some real concrete changes in your life to create space to grow in this church community. Other places, hey, I'm calling you to grow this. Other places to maintain this. So as we talk today, keep that in mind. So this should be brief and easy and all is gonna lean on your, part- your participation. So the first area where I'm gonna invite us as a church to join God in the work of cultivating is quite simply the presence of God himself. That's the first area. If you wanna know where our heart is beating as a church, our heart is beating for the presence of God. We want God's presence in this space. And we want to, in the Sunday container, in house church, and how we disciple you as you live your individual life, we wanna prioritize God's presence not just with words, but hear me, with with action. We don't just wanna talk about God's presence or describe God's presence, but as a church family, welcome God's presence. Sit in God's presence. Slow down in God's presence, right here together in each other's presence. And in a culture of quantity, a culture of of chaos, a culture where a lot is happening. It is becoming ever more important to develop the skill of saying no to certain things that are begging for your time and attention in order so you can say yes to the things that need your time and attention. To break up the hard soils of busyness, distraction, idolatry, addiction, consumeristic church life, self-centered living, breaking up those soils in order to make, uh, make space for the presence of God himself. And all of this is coming out of John chapter 15. This invitation from Jesus where he says in verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And if you grew up in church, you've heard sermons on this passage, but if you didn't, that word abide, that might feel foreign. It just means remain. It means come and stay. In a culture of come and go, in a culture of, hey, when you're free, Jesus is saying, no, 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 come to me and stay. Get very comfortable, familiar, and used to being in my presence at all times. There is abundance in the presence of God. Linger. Remain. The invitation from Jesus. Notice, he says, remain in me and you'll bear fruit. I mean, it's just kind of crazy when you juxtapose his invitation to how a lot of you have experienced the Christian life. The the Christian life is, what are you doing wrong and how can you start doing it right? But Jesus doesn't put any weight on you bearing fruit. He doesn't say, hey, come to me and I'm gonna teach you how to bear fruit. He says, just come to me. Be in my presence, abide in me. The fruit is just gonna happen. 
because you're just going to live out of who you are. And in my presence is where who you are is shaped, is where it's formed. Jesus, we don't give him enough credit for how much of a mystery this guy was. He got so much done. I mean, here we are talking about him. Who else are we talking about from that long ago? And when you think about it, he just spent three years doing ministry. He didn't, like, do a lot, you know, like three years. Calls 12 friends, walks with them, travels with them, heals some people, preaches some sermons, dies, resurrects, and here we are. How did Jesus get this done? Because if you read the Gospels, he's not walking around frantic. He's not walking around like I walk around. I walk around, and if I feel like I'm behind or overwhelmed at my schedule, I try to find subliminal ways to tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got five more minutes. I love this. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I got like five more minutes. I got to go. And I just kind of, I hope you picked up on what I was putting down. I got the weight of the world on my shoulders, man. I'm a pastor. There's a lot going on. I love you. Oh my gosh, I love you. I'm so locked in. But like my calendar, you know, I got stuff. I got stuff. Jesus had stuff, okay? He had a priority list. Saving the world, priority one. Why wasn't he frantic? Why is he not running behind? Why is he, I mean, on the way to resurrect a dude's dead daughter, he's got time for a bleeding woman, defiled, not allowed in the courts. I mean, y'all remember that? That story is crazy. Why does Jesus have time? And here's what I'd say. The gas in Jesus's fuel tank, the thing that fueled his entire ministry. If you know me, if you've been here for any amount of time, you already know I'm about to cite Luke 5, 16, that Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray Go read Mark 1. The Spirit leads them to pray and fast alone with the Father for 40 days. He comes down, calls disciples, preaches sermons, heals some people. People get saved. They go to sleep that night. Disciples can't find him. Where's Jesus? He's up by some tree at 4 a.m. praying to the Father again. He just had 40 days of it. And he's already back by a tree praying again. This is what fueled Jesus' ministry. Prayer and presence was the sunshine on his solar-powered panel. I tried to think of something modern other than gas in a fuel tank. Try to be conscious of the environment. I don't have opinions on the environment one way or the other. Sorry if you were looking for that just then. That wasn't a plug. Anyway, back to presence. I really believe that Jesus himself received purpose, vision, life, peace, fuel from the presence of God himself that before we are human doings, we are human beings. And so in this season, one of the things our heart is beating for is to learn how to be in the presence of God for the sake of being in the presence of God. Don't discount how difficult this may feel at times. In a culture of productivity, even if you're not trying to abide by a culture of productivity, you have a productive spirit that will struggle to sit and receive But before life can be given, it must be received. That's the whole branch in the vine picture. The branch must receive life to give it. All right, so we're gonna get in on the presence of God. And this is also birthed in Acts chapter one, verse four. I mean, think about this. So Jesus, we know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptize, baby. Baby is a word that I added to that scripture. And I just want you to think about the disciples for a second. All their zeal. I mean, think about Peter. Before Christ even resurrected, he was already cutting dudes' ears off. Like, that was a zealous man. He was trying to fight for Jesus. Even when he didn't realize the fight Jesus was calling him to, he was fighting. 
He's like, I don't know, we swinging swords? Jesus was like, no. He's like, well, I already did, you know? (laughs) He's a zealous man. So now, I mean, picture like the blood running through Peter's veins when Jesus has resurrected from the dead. How ready is Peter to dominate? Like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I'm about to make some disciples. Watch me go make some disciples. Jesus has barely gotten the great commission out of his mouth and Peter's already headed off to do it. But this tricky thing happens in Acts chapter one, verse four. After the great commission, Jesus says, while staying with them, he orders them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father to wait for the Holy Spirit. Imagine Jesus resurrects from the dead and you're like in the locker room, ready for the game. Let's go coach. And Jesus says, all right, ready? One, two, three, wait, wait. Don't do anything that I'm asking you to do without me. Don't go out in the world bearing my name without my presence. You wait for the Holy Spirit. And so there they are, the disciples and other believers in a room and all they're doing is hitting their knees going, Holy Spirit, we are not leaving without your presence. I wonder what an ethos church in HV would look like to be a church that goes, we don't go anywhere unless we sense that your presence is going there. We don't speak, we don't move without trusting your spirit is leading And we get there by sitting in your presence, by listening, by being attentive to what you're doing. And so that's one of our heartbeats in this season. We want the presence of God. I'm not pretending to be an expert on the presence of God. I'm just promising we're gonna try to sit in the presence of God together and we'll see what happens. All right, how's that for leadership? (laughs) All right, so uh, secondly, we wanna cultivate deeper community here. That's our heartbeat, is to see deep, meaningful community here at this church. If I'm like really showing my hand, that Ethos HV, for those that call it home, would make this a, a source of primary community, not just take it and leave it community. Take it when you need it, otherwise you're good. Like that some of your best friends would be here. Some of your closest confidants would be in this space, and that comes with work. And so this comes out of John chapter 13. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, the way that disciples treat other disciples of Jesus is what will give legitimacy to my lordship, basically. The way you treat the family of God, if you are in the family of God, is what helps people understand who you belong to. Acts chapter two, it's this recording of what did the church do when it started? 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus, you know, when there used to be no one that believed in Jesus because Jesus was brand new. So what did the church do? What did it look like? And this is sort of our blueprint, Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds, or distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this first community of Jesus, it was marked by a deep love for God, his word with worship, but it's also marked by this peculiar, selfless, loving community that as any need arose within the community, it was met. Immediately, if you have a need and I have it within my means or we together have it within our means, we meet the need. 
That's it. There was this generosity. And so we're aiming to go deeper as a community in two ways. I'm gonna get into needs in a second, but first, I wanna encourage us to be a church family that prays together more proactively. Sometimes I think we treat praying in public spaces the way that our parents treat counseling. It must mean something's wrong, right? Like anyone else had parents that had to learn, hey, counseling doesn't just mean something's wrong with you. For the record, something's wrong with all of us, but growing up for me, counseling had this connotation until we all learned, oh, for those that need it, counseling is just helpful. For those that don't think they need it, it will still be helpful. That's just, it can be helpful. It's not God, but I mean, certainly it can help you process some stuff, right? We know this. We benefit from this age. We've redeemed the idea of counseling, but I still feel that we struggle with this understanding of prayer. I feel like we treat prayer like if a seven-year-old got a brand new bike for Christmas and was like, do I have to ride it? It's like, that wouldn't happen. A seven-year-old knows a gift when they see one. This bike is meant to be ridden. Surely this is fun. Right? And I feel like in this church family, like we need to redeem, well, no, God has already redeemed what prayer is. We just need to realize prayer is awesome. We need to pray more. I think about Acts chapter four. The disciples have just been threatened by the same people that killed Jesus. And they've been threatened that they'll be killed as well. They're released from prison for preaching the gospel. They come to their other brothers and sisters in the faith, and together they begin praying for one another. And here's what they pray. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through, this, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So the disciples are threatened. They need confidence. They need boldness. They need encouragement. And their strategy A to receive those things is to gather with brothers and sisters that believe in Jesus and say, hey, will you pray with me? And I just wanna invite you to imagine, I think this is within the reach of Ethos HV, that this can be a space when you're down and out when you're frustrated, when you're lost, when you're confused, when you're discouraged, when you're lacking confidence, whether in your walk with God or some other part of your life, that you go, man, if there's no other place on earth, this is a place where I can freely tap someone on the shoulder and go, I need you to go before the Lord on my behalf right now. That this is a place where you feel free to walk in going, Lord, is there anyone I can minister to? Lord, I've had a good week, but I know that's not everybody. God, give me eyes to see. Could someone in here use my encouragement? And not just my nice words, which are powerful, but my prayers. That this could be a space where you feel comfortable coming in and having someone put a hand on your shoulder or you putting a hand on someone else's shoulder and going, Father, we come before you on this brother or sister's behalf and we intercede on their behalf where the family of God goes before God on behalf of their family in this space, and I just wanna go ahead and invite you, let's normalize the act of praying for each other out loud in this space, when, whenever, literally whenever. You will not offend me if during my teaching you are praying for someone. I will not call you out, I will not feel disrespected, I will feel like God is being honored, that's how I feel. 
The first set of worship is begging for you just to go pray for somebody for 10 minutes. This weather. Go have yourself a prayer session on the, on the porch, man. It's begging for it. Just come back for the teaching. I worked hard. I'm kidding. Don't. Like, pray. After teaching, during communion, like, if you want to break up the, okay, we're going in a circle, what'd you get out of the sermon? Okay, here's what I got. Here's what I'm praying for. You know, whatever. Like, if you want to break up that part and go, hey, guys, look, I know the question. I actually need prayer for real. Can we just, can we press pause and actually, like, really, let's pray this thing out. Do that. Let's normalize prayer. All right. Lastly, we cultivate deep community by meeting needs. Cultivating eyes and ears for others. This Acts 2 story is a story of a group of people that didn't just think generously or contemplate and discuss generosity. They lived generously. They took of what was theirs, their possession, and they gave it away so they no longer had it anymore to give to someone else in need. This is one of the most remarkable trends of the church. This is one of the key reasons why I think the Lord added to their number daily. I think communities around them started seeing a ridiculous and illogical generosity that was marked by peace and joy somehow. Like families are just giving away their sense of security to help someone else feel loved and they didn't seem afraid. They seemed full of joy, in fact. I believe this is some of the things that bore witness to the community around them. This is the reason that people around them would go, look, I don't know who they believe in, but I'm gonna figure it out because something, something different is happening in this community. I believe the generosity of the church indirectly yet maybe directly leads to salvation. And so giving you full permission, may you be the most generous version of yourself within this church. That as you see needs arise, that you don't pass it off to your neighbor or to the pastoral team, but you go, how can me and my community help meet this need? And that's on any level. If someone comes in here needing friendship, needing genuine relationship, needing someone to give their time to invest in them, needing words of encouragement and confidence. May this be a space where they walk in and they find a host of people going, I am looking for those people. Lord, show me someone in need of friendship because they're gonna find it. Show me someone in the need of verbal encouragement, they're gonna find it. Show me someone that needs me to come sit by them and sit with them the whole gathering and then take them out to lunch. I'm in, I am in. We have so many people in here that came here by themselves, didn't feel seen and known, but they felt it here and now they call this place home and now you're just a regular. You walk in here like you own the place, which is such a gift. There's more former use that needs you to help them make this feel like home. If it's mental, people are coming in here carrying anxiety, fear, depression, insecurity. There's trauma, there's pain, there's heartbreak, there's long suffering. How can we be a community that has eyes and ears? God, show me who's hurting. Show me who's breaking. Show me where the pain is in this church and help us to be a community that meets those needs for the long haul with no timeline on your healing. Anyone else ever felt that? Man, I've prayed for this one thing that won't go away and it's been six months. Am I allowed to keep asking for prayer for it? Yes, yes, we're here. Come hell or high water, we're praying, baby. We gotta pray for 20 years, we're praying this thing out. May this be that kind of a place. May this be a place when there's spiritual need. I've got questions around God. I need discipleship. I need mentorship. I need someone to let me wrestle with doubts. I need a place where I can confess sin. And it ain't light sin. Like, oh, I've been kind of prioritizing my phone too much. It's like I am lost in darkness sin. May this be the first place you think to bring that to the light, knowing you will be received with the kindness and the joy of Jesus. Are y'all down for that? 
Y'all, would it not be amazing if we grew in our comfort level of like confessing the real stuff? The thing that you're not supposed to say at house church. I don't know who told us that. It wasn't the gospel. But one of my prayer points is that we become a family very comfortable hearing someone out of a repentful heart going, I am all the way lost in sin right now. All the way. And it's nasty. It's eating me up. And if I don't say it, I stay in it. And my only shot at freedom is if I say it out loud. And there's a family of God willing to hug me, cry with me, pray with me, and support me as I walk toward healing over the long haul. Guys, I'm eager. There can be something weird with how abnormal it is to confess the ugly of life. In general, because we're insecure, it's vulnerable. We want to be, outside of like church stuff, we want to be put together. We want to put our best foot forward, especially in the public sphere. Are you guys a mess? Is anyone else a mess in this room? Y'all, I'm a mess. <laughs> like, I'm trying. I'm redeemed, but like, Ask Leah, my wife. Ask Leona, she'll tell you with weird noises. Like, this is not a man that has it together. This is a man that's been saved by the grace of God and that in my lowest points of darkness and depravity was met by grace, was met by brothers and sisters that hugged me, that didn't shame me, that spoke life and hope into me, that let me know that healing was available, that freedom was available, and so I'm praying, like, Lord, in your name, if there's cocaine addiction, if there's sex addiction, if there's money laundering, I don't know. Some of y'all are successful business people. I don't even know what money laundering is. <laughs> is that what business people struggle with? I don't know. <laughs> if there's tax fraud. <laughs> We're laughing. Hey, what are y'all in here like, oh, shh. <laughs> out of all the sins I thought I'd be called out for today. I got called out for tax fraud. <laughs> yep. And going like, guys, here's a good prayer for you. God, will you help this to be the safest, most, just the best place for sin to come to the light, to find healing? The victim of your sin is you. That's the lie. What are they going to think? Dude, no, 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 no. It's your freedom on the line. We want you free. Christ wants you free. And that starts with being able to go, I have needs. I can't get out of my own way. I can't stop choosing this thing that's bringing death to my doorstep, and I need help. And I pray that this space, you go, if I need help, I can say it here. I tangent longer than I intended. All right, so whatever the need, let's be people that meet needs. And I just want to speak to something, and I, and I really am about to wrap up. I, I recognize what time it is. Hold on. Yeah. Let's talk about a tension between discipline and intuition because being selfless and having eyes and ears for the needs of others can almost feel intuitive. It feels like some people are just kind of like that. They just like notice others. And I just want to speak, that's not real. You can discipline selflessness. You can train your eyes and ears to see and hear the needs of others. 
So let's not pass this off to the people that seem to be more prone to being selfless. I'm asking you, if you call this place home, be a selfless person. Train yourself to have eyes and ears for the needs around you. If everyone in this building goes, I've got needs and I hope someone can meet them, no one's meeting needs. Everyone's just aware of their own. But when this community becomes a place where we actively look for the needs of others and seek to problem solve and meet them in whatever way we can, now everyone's got a person trying to meet needs. Does that make sense? So let's, let's lean in to being a selfless church, proactively looking for the needs of others, and then going, how can I help meet them? Okay, as we try to cultivate God's presence, as we try to cultivate deeper community, I'm gonna end us with a tension that exists in our culture that I wanna just name very clearly. Commitment comes at a cost. And I just, guys, commitment comes at a cost. You may know this, you may kind of know this, you may not know this at all, you need to know this. There is a cost to committing. But the more invested in this church family you are, the more you're going to get out of it and the more this family will become. I remember talking to a friend of mine. He worked in Franklin, full-time, pregnant wife, busy schedule, a lot going on. But I'd also heard about this men's Bible study on Thursday nights that was just killing it. Just all these men just coming alive in Christ, leading other people to Jesus. It's just going down. They're doing obnoxious stuff. They're like lifting weights, eating food, and then Bible studying. I mean, just so bro, you know. But whatever, man, you know, it's measure the fruit. It's freaking working. So I was like, all right, I got to get my guy to come to this Thursday night thing. But here's the reality. He's got a pregnant wife at home. He drives 30 minutes one way to work. So from 8.30 to like 5.30, he's already, that's, that's gone. 8.30 to 5.30 is gone. And he spends his whole day talking to people on the phone the whole time. So, you know, he's mentally drained, emotionally drained, physically drained. He's got a pregnant wife. He's got a family he's trying to spend time with. So what do you think sounds good as he ends his day in Franklin at 5 or 5.30? Going to a men's Bible study or going home to the couch with his family, right? So I was just talking to him like, man, I just, let's just name the cost, it is such a hurdle to leave work in Franklin and go, instead of going home to my best friend and a warm meal, I'm gonna go hang out with a bunch of dudes who are gonna be all riled up from working out together. There's a cost. Here's what I believe. The reward far outweighs the cost. While it costs him, he's also gonna be surrounded by people that love him that instill confidence in him, that encourage his walk with Jesus. When he shows up to that space, there's gonna be an environment full of reverence and worship and prayer. He's gonna be surrounded by men challenging him to be a better husband, a servant, a selfless man, walking with God, serving his household, serving the people he works with, pouring life into him, reminding him to drink from the well that Jesus has offered him and nowhere else to receive the abundant life with the Holy Spirit. Like, the reward is greater. All the stuff that's available to him on those Thursday nights, that is gonna fuel his home life. It's gonna fuel his work life. It's gonna shape his identity. That's what it can look like. There are some costs, but I'd really trust the reward is far greater. I would argue the cost of not having that available to you 
is greater. The cost of not having men spur you to be self-sacrificing, not having men that remind you of the gift of scripture and prayer in the presence of God, the cost of not having men that bring genuine friendship and encouragement. How many of y'all know money is not the only currency? Man, friendship is currency. A spiritual community marked by depth and love for God, that's valuable in this life. That stuff matters. And so my encouragement to you is to commit If this is your home, to make it your home. If this is your community, to make it one of your, if not your primary community. Like a part of becoming an adult is learning to say no to good things so you can say yes to great things. Facts. So let me just warn you. There are friend hangs. There are events. There are happenings that are gonna happen. And there are gonna be moments where you're gonna to have to say no to something that would have been more fun than house church to go to house church. Factual. There are gonna be friends that you're not gonna be able to go hang with that night. There's gonna be some vegging out in your future. Some man, it was a long day, let me kick back and watch TV. Let me get in my phone, cuddle up in the fetal and get on, that, and get on Instagram. That's a good feeling, you wrap up all on your blanket and just pull out your little phone. Oof, isn't that a nice feeling? And you're going to have to tell yourself, that would feel nice. I'm saying no because I trust that the thing I'm saying yes to is worth it. And just go ahead, prepare yourself to say no to some things that sound instantaneously very good, that would actually be a good time. But choosing to go, I'm saying yes to something else that I believe the long-term investment will yield much better results, will bring me fruit. I love everyone in this church, but there's some people in here that I have invested in for the last five years that have invested in me. And those friendships, like they were so good in the first year. I mean, so good. But five years in, it's like, man, that's my family. I'll sit here and cry just thinking about them. Why? We've committed to each other. We've chosen each other over others. Hard truth. It's like even, even Jesus was like, hey, Peter, James, John, come here. Imagine being another disciple. What the, what, the, what do you mean, Peter, James, John? What about Judas? Jesus is like, no, no, no. I know, keep my, I'm just kidding, I don't know. All right, let's, let's end, let's stop. I'm, I'm off the notes, obviously. Uh, all right, so that's my invitation to you is like if you want the rewards of a Christian community, much like a gardener running the rewards of harvest, we have to be a people of cultivation. We are willing to put our heads down, to put the work in, trusting it will yield life. And so over communion, I'm just gonna ask you to do a simple thing. I want you to process. I've talked about really three things with God cultivating his presence in our life, in our house church, in this church specifically, with community, being people that pray together proactively, that meet each other's needs, unashamedly going, man, this is a community where I try to meet needs whenever I can. And just kind of asking you, man, out of the three areas, did any one stick out to you more than the other? Maybe all three equally and pray through them. But also, I wanna invite us to begin doing something I might be inviting us to do more and more often, which is pray for this church. Pray for this family. When you read the New Testament, you don't get this individualized church understanding. It's never my church, it's our church. It's the family of God. And so I wanna invite you, circle up in groups of three or four. I know how this feels, but man, now you're hearing the heartbeat of it. What are we trying to get at? A community marked by depth, where together we come before God and pray for each other and pray for this church. So over communion, 
You see the discussion questions. There's communion on the inside chair of every other row. We can pass that around. You can take communion together. Here's the instruction. Circle up in groups of three to four. If you don't feel comfortable, do this on your own and just ask God, God, where are you inviting me to cultivate? Where can I, if this is home or wherever your church home is, some of y'all are visiting for the kids being dedicated. Think about your church family. God, where are you inviting me to cultivate as a part of my church family? Um, Love you guys. We'll come up here and worship in, in like five or seven minutes.